0: Financial advisor Justin Klein.
1: Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back. This is Invest Talk. It is our our October 20th, 2023 edition, and it is Friday, which means the weekend is upon us. But before we get to the fun, we are going to recap what happened in the markets today and this week, and what is happening more broadly with the geopolitical situation, as well as the broader economy and markets. So we're going to do our best this hour to help you take that next step in your path. And the path is about discovering, discovering the ways of this new world, a world where we don't as easily go to bat for our allies. A world where money is not as free as it once was, where capital actually costs something again, where the Fed isn't just sitting at the zero bound forever and money is essentially free. It's not the world we live in anymore, so our job is to help you adjust to that, give you actionable material that you can use to make, excuse me, to make good decisions with your money. And so I'm here to give you my unbiased perspective to your finance and investment questions developed with over 20 plus years of investment experience. And we're going to talk about what happened in the markets today. We're going to run down the other show topics that we're going to cover, but first we're going to answer our first caller question at
0: 888 chart Hi, guys. This is Robbie calling from Los Angeles, calling about ticker symbol uh, LAC, Lithium Americas. Um, they just split into a spinoff corporation, so they have two now, one in Argentina and one, uh, I guess, stateside. I wanted to see or ask like, what a spinoff means for an investor, and how do these two now different entities look by the metrics? Looking forward to hearing it on the podcast. Thank you so much. Bye.
1: Well, there's not a blanket statement that you can say all spin offs are good or all spin offs are bad. It depends on how it's broken up, which companies assume which businesses, which obligations. And when I say obligations, you're typically talking about debt. I've seen it many times where a spin off is specifically meant to kind of offload a lot of debt. On the parent company, from the parent company to this spinoff, that can happen. So it's hard to say if there's a blanket uh, way to treat these things. But uh, this one looks like was this a SPAC? Maybe I'm not sure. It's a I'd have to dig into the details. But you know, if you've listened to the show for any length of time, lithium is extremely low on the list of the type of minerals you want to be investing in. Extremely low. It's probably one of the last ones I I have any interest in adding to portfolios. And this is a name that peaked out in late 2021 with the rest of the growth stocks in the low 40s. And now we're trading at $7 per share. $7 per share. So I don't, the relative strength is horrendous. You're talking about an eight. And there's nothing about this that gets me excited at all. So avoid the lithium space. There are far better materials to invest in for the quote-unquote green love revolution than lithium. All right, now we have a lot of ground to cover over the next 45 minutes, and we have a lot planned. So my main focus point looks in the story behind this headline, 7.7% mortgage rates what this means for housing demand. Now the average contract interest rate for 30 year mortgage mortgages increased to 7.7%, while applications for a mortgage were 21% lower year over year. Now this story can be your Real Estate 101 course. We'll talk about what high interest rates mean for the housing market, plus supply and demand in the real estate market and the reality of 7.7% mortgage rates for you and your local housing market as well as the national housing market. Now, we have, a, we have some other topics on the docket. One is in regards to the law of unintended consequences that is starting to come home to roost within the bond market. And why, I've said this for a long time, that there was a, a lot of a lot of powers that be within the government as well as the Fed kind of pulling the wool over their eyes. And they continue to do so. And ultimately, it's going to, I think, mean a very different Federal Reserve a decade plus from now because they did a lot of things that have set up this situation. And made it worse than it would be otherwise. So we're going to look at that. Also, consumers are doing well. But a particular slice is doing very well. And hint, hint. They're called seniors. So we're going to look at why they are really holding up the American consumer market. Also, on top of that, we are in a bull market. From last uh, August or last fall lows around this time, right? It's been about a year since the market kind of bottomed and and generally rallied into year end. Now, tech stocks and growth stocks didn't, but the, the broad market did. And we've had a choppy, sloppy uptrend, but an uptrend nonetheless. Which means you probably go, this feels weird. doesn't feel like a bull market. So we're gonna talk about why that is and what characteristics of this bull market are kind of throwing a lot of people for a loop. Okay, now we have some voice bank questions. One is in regards to dollar cost averaging and the other PMF, the PIMCO Municipal Income Fund. And since it's Friday, I'll share some excerpts from the newest KPP premium newsletter. That's coming up at the halfway point of the podcast. Now, let's take a look at the market performance today. Another another down day. Strong down day. Definitely on the growth side of the market. Large cap growth down about 1.5%. Large cap value only down 0.8%. Definitely the best slice of the market today. You had the broad... Large cap space down about one and a quarter percent, same as small caps. So, similar performance there across the board, but definitely outperformance on the value side uh, today. As we close this week, we continue to battle, or the markets continue to battle, with future Fed policy and whether or not this is the end. And I continue to think so, that we are at the end of this rate hiking cycle. There is now, this is interesting, as of today, there's now a 0% chance that the Fed will raise rates on the 1st, about a week and a half from now. And there's actually a 3.9% chance that they'll cut rates. Pretty interesting. It's a big, big shift from where we were just a couple of weeks ago. A month ago, there was a 29% chance that the Fed was going to hike rates on November 1st. Now that's zero. Pretty wild. And the December data, 73% chance of a continued pause from here. 24% chance there will be one more rate hike. And a 2.9% chance there will be a rate cut by year end. So big move. Big change in sentiment, and obviously that is because of the risk off environment that we have seen over the past couple of weeks. Now, it's pretty clear with what's happening in the Middle East that that's another risk factor the Fed has to consider, on top of the fact that their policy tools are lagging. Now, the economic data this week. Broadly positive. So that's the only thing you can say to say, okay, maybe they should raise rates again. Existing home sales yesterday were still down 2%, though, month over month. So this is an environment where the Fed's likely on pause, and the next move will be a rate cut. All right, now, as we go to a break, let me remind you to check out the new Invest.Classroom series. Our episode 11 is up and it's on options. And over the past couple of years, options have become more and more popular, especially for new investors. Like the YOLO options, trying to really hit those grand slams. We're going to give you a primer on options, how they work, and I'll pass along some strategies as well and how to use options to hedge against risk on top of that. So learn more about options, search in the Best Classroom over on YouTube. And now the phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at 888-99-CHART.
2: Get ready for the next Invest Talk Wealth Webinar, Profit Amidst Chaos, Strategic Investing in a Recession. The Wealth Webinar will be presented online and free of charge, but you have to register in advance to reserve your spot. Which sectors tend to soar and which plummet during economic downturns? With the right strategies, you can safeguard your investments and also seize unique opportunities. So join Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein and Luke Guerrero of KPP Financial as they take you through the maze of mysteries involved with investing in times of recession. Tell your friends about the next InvestTalk Wealth Webinar. It's happening live, online, and free Thursday, November 9th from 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific Time. Go to InvestTalk.com and register now. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 99 chart.
1: Now our main focus point today looks in the story set up by this headline: seven point seven percent mortgage rates. What this means for housing demand, and we're going to go over the uh, over what interest rates mean or how, what high interest rates mean for the housing market and how it affects supply and demand in real estate and the demand for home loans dropped to the lowest level since 1995 last week total applications volume fell 6.9% compared to a week ago and the average contract interest rate increased to 7.7% that's from 7.67 A week ago and a year ago during the same week, it was only at 6.94%. So that ebb in rates that we saw in the beginning of the year into the spring, that didn't last very long. And we obviously have had this resurgence on the back of the higher 10-year treasury rate. Now applications to refinance a home also fell 10% for the week and down 12% from a year ago. And what investors or buyers are increasingly turning to are adjustable rate mortgages. A lot of them are saying, hey, rates are high and I'm planning on refinancing the next five to 10 years anyway. Why don't I pick up a lower rate, get a better monthly payment and that adjustable nature five, 10 years from now is not going to matter very much. And honestly, I think that's probably a good way to go. Because once again, we're probably at the, near the high of this cycle in interest rates. Now could we go a little higher? Could we go to five and a quarter on the 10 year? I think that's certainly possible. But we're getting to that crescendo that creates financial instability that typically brings the Fed to the rescue. And the dollar down, rates down, and going through that next rate-cutting cycle, which we talked about. How the market is pricing in the rate-cutting cycle being pulled forward. And this week, the current mortgage rate points to this. 7.92% on average as of Tuesday. So, It just shows you that, yes, demand is down. And this is a perfect example of what I say many times about supply and demand. A lot of people focus on demand. rates are up. That hits demand. Yes, it does. But if you look at it, it's not hitting demand much more than it has over the past year. Down 10% year over year. From low levels. It's not dramatic but the supply remains very muted. And so this is why we're going through a multi-year correction phase in housing as opposed to any crash. And uh, I wanna highlight those numbers because it can be very important to pay attention to when you are trying to assess the health of the housing market. It's not healthy, but it's also not in the hospital either. All right, we're going into a break. Ready to take your questions now at 888-99-CHART.
2: Stock market is constantly changing and now with more than 50 million downloads Justin Klein and Steve Peasley reaffirm their commitment to providing unbiased finance and investment guidance here on Invest Talk 88899
3: chart Hi this is Paul calling from Arkansas I'm looking to add some
0: income funds to my portfolio one I'm looking at is a Pimco fund P M F P is in Paul, M is in Mary, F is in Frank. It's, it looks like a federal income tax exempt fund. I'm curious as what the risks might be. Besides, I mean, I, obviously interest rates could put the fund down as well as any of the holdings. Municipal going bankrupt, I guess. But I was wondering if there's anything else I should consider before
3: deciding to add this to my portfolio. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Bye bye.
1: All right, I talked a lot about these type of funds a couple of weeks ago. I forgot what show it was on. But the main issue with these closed-end bond funds, and especially the municipal bond funds, remember, the lower the yield on something or the lower the fixed yield on something, the more what is called convexity risk there is. The convexity basically means that how volatile it is to the rise and fall of interest rates. And yes, that's duration risk, but what the convexity kind of measures is, hey, you know, interest rates went up. For example, okay, let me give you a basic example. You could buy something that yields 2%, or you can buy something that yields 8%, and they may have the same duration, meaning they they, they mature at the same year, same day, month, etc. But as time goes on, interest rates can go up, But as time goes on, you're going to get a coupon rate of 8% on that one. You can go reinvest that 8% yield at a higher rate. Whereas that other lower income, that 2%, you're only getting 2% per year. So you can't go and invest that at higher rates when rates do rise. So that's the concept of convexity. When you have long duration and low yielding bonds, they are even more at risk of loss when Interest rates rise. And so that's why these municipal bond funds have fallen so dramatically. Because you're starting from an even lower yield than most other fixed income securities. Okay, And this has fallen from about the mid-teens at the end of last year. Now we're at $7.84. So it's down 50%. And that's because not only do you have low-yielding securities with long durations, but you also have leverage. And this one in particular, the PMF, the Pimco Municipal Income Fund, has a forty-eight percent leverage ratio, and there and, and that in that lies additional risk because they have to keep a certain level of leverage for regulators, meaning that if you you're levered, just kind of think of a margin call, right? If you are on margin and the value of your portfolio drops, you're going to get margin called. You're going to, have to be forced to sell something when prices are lower. And that's what's happening in a lot of these, these leveraged bond funds, bond, closed-end bond funds, is that they're levering up in order to get extra yield, so it makes them look juicy and attractive for the average investor, but they're at the risk of getting margin called when interest rates rise. And this fund, 12% of the bonds mature in over 30 years, 48 in 20 to 30 years, 13% in 15 to 20 years. So the vast majority of this bond fund is extremely long duration. Now, would this be a good play if rates do drop, if we're near a peak in rates? Yes. But I talked about before, I'm modestly actually bullish on taking duration risk over the next year. So could this rally from here? Certainly. You started to see some pretty high volume. You actually had a day-to-day, we call it a doji day, where uh, it it traded down, but kind of closed where it opened, and it was on high volume. Very well could get a near-term bounce, a drop in rates, and this could rally. But you were talking three, five, 10 years out this is the exact opposite of where you want to be so there's always different time frames that you have to look at but this is not where you want to own don't chase yield i urge everyone out there reassess all of your income holdings this is an environment where it's actually better to be owning lower yielding securities not higher yielding securities Sounds weird, goes against your instinct, I wanna get that yield. But higher yielding securities are bond proxies. And oftentimes they are paying that high yield because they are taking on duration risk or they have balance sheet risk. They have something wrong with them and the structure of that yield that puts that yield so high. So please, if you're going to buy quote-unquote duration, which this would be a very big bet on duration with leverage, you're only doing that tactically, short-term, and you're getting out. That's it. And you're having risk controls. Because this is an environment where this is the beginning. This is the first phase of interest rates renormalizing. This isn't the end. But it's gonna go in phases. All right, in the next invest talk, we'll look into the story. Three lessons from the stumble of the 6040 portfolio. Balanced funds are sometimes dangerous, but can their risk be avoided? That's Monday, but for now I'm Justin Klein, ready to take your calls at 99 chart. At this point,
2: Granger, for the ones who get it done. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts, and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART.
1: Let's go to Jerry. He is in Palo Alto. He wants to talk about CDs.
0: Uh, CDs uh, versus T-bills and laddering them. Mm -hmm. And then one other question. I know there's another investment. You can only invest like $10,000 a year, somewhere in that same realm.
1: Are you talking about I-bonds?
0: Yeah, there you go. Okay. So do that. But T-bills versus
1: Together. Well, the, the there's a couple... There's some main differences. You can go buy T-bills in your brokerage account, and if you need the money, you can sell it. Right? And you're probably going to make a profit. Wow. Whereas CDs, you're locking your money up, and oftentimes there's penalties if you do want to take that money out. So okay. that would be my two main questions is how likely are you to need that money? And, you know, I'm looking right now on like bankrate.com and there are some CDs, one year CDs yielding about five point, it's called 6%. And if you look at the treasury yield curve, the one year is at about 5.4%. So you're picking up 20 basis points, which is something, definitely not nothing, but, you also sacrifice potential liquidity of that as well. So if I'm picking one or the other, I kind of like the treasuries just because of that liquidity, you're still getting very much in that ballpark and you're taking a slight haircut on that yield, uh, but you're able to sell it and you can certainly ladder them out easier and kind of pick your, your points. Cause there's, there's pretty much T bills and notes that will mature at pretty much any month or date that you want it to right? Whereas CDs, you're kind of right. up to the whims of, of the bank and, and what they're offering. Now there also can be right. specialty rates at your bank or something like that. That might get that over six, around 6%. Then you might talk about something that's, that's worthwhile, that difference. But, 10, 20 basis points, I like the liquidity and be able to kind of ladder that more specifically the way I want to. I bonds, I like the floating nature of that, but right now the, the float is going negative, meaning uh, the the yield that you're getting on those bonds, or in those I bonds are now coming down, and very likely you're probably going to get less on your I bonds in a year than you are on, say, treasuries. So I like them last fall, but I don't love them nearly as much now. So you know, Treasuries are, are liquid; they're easy to buy in your brokerage platform or TreasuryDirect.gov. Now, the issue with Treasury Direct is you can't sell them, um, so that's why, or you can, but you have to transfer them to your brokerage account and then you sell them. It's a little bit more cumbersome of a process. Uh, I, I would just do it at in your brokerage firm. Uh, I think it's a lot easier. All of them. Should have the ability to buy Treasuries directly with uh, with on their trading platform, and that's probably the way that I would go and pick the exact months and dates that you want those to mature.
0: Awesome, thank you.
1: Thanks for the call, Jerry. Now on Fridays, I generally make make time to fit in a quick rundown of some key benchmarks. This week, the 10-year reached 5.086%. Last week, it was at 5.05, still down from four weeks ago when it was at 5.12. That's kind of pricing in the odds of more of a Fed rate cut earlier than we were just a month ago. So that's of note, but still higher than we were last week. The 10-year, 4.29%, reached almost 5% this week. Didn't quite get there, but almost got there yesterday. And that's up from 4.44% just a month ago, and 4.25% two months ago. And this is all about supply. Supply of treasuries, not just new issuance, but as I talked about yesterday, China unloading dollar-denominated securities like treasuries in order to support their currency to keep that floor on the renminbi. So that's a big factor in why you're seeing the term premium rise and longer-term yields go up gold 1981 an ounce up from 1930 an ounce a week ago and 1925 an ounce five weeks ago and gold's clearly in an uptrend which is interesting considering higher interest rates you typically don't see gold go up with interest rates uh, moving this strongly but you have geopolitical concerns Continue to rise as well as near-term expectations for rates coming down. Talking about rate cuts being brought forward. So that's a big catalyst for gold breaking out. And I do think we break well above 2,000 an ounce by the end of the year. Silver today at 23.37 an ounce, up from 22.75 last week. And it was still down from a month ago at 23.54. Oil. $89 per barrel, that's up from 87.4 a week ago. And two weeks ago, sorry, two months ago, it was at $80 per share. 18 weeks ago, $71, I don't know, per share, per barrel, excuse me. And 30 weeks ago, we were at $66 per barrel. So a big move in a little over half half a year from 66 and change all the way to 89 and change. And we continue to see... Oil in a longer-term upward trajectory on tight supply as well as rising geopolitical risk. Nationally, the average gallon of gasoline, $3.55 per gallon down from last week at $3.62, and four weeks ago is at $3.85. So we're actually seeing the average price of gas come down as the summer driving season turns into the holiday season. Now here in California... The average gallon of gas, five dollars and forty-eight cents. I wish I paid that. Here in here in Southern California, I'm, I'm easily paying paying six dollars plus. But last week we're at five sixty-six, so it is down. And a month ago we're at five seventy-eight, and the lowest price gas in the country, Georgia, three dollars and two cents per gallon on average. Pretty crazy. We pay a lot more here in California. All right, let's talk a bit about the law of unintended consequences. And that's that's never been more apparent than what we're seeing today. And if you look back in history, you have never seen a surge in bond yields like this. The last time the 10-year move this much in the space of 3 years was 1979 to 1982. That's when Paul Volcker was, you know, slaying inflation and created two recessions. And if you go back in history, this is the worst couple of years in over 150 years for bond investors. Last year, in fact, the US bond investors worst year since 1871 with a total return of minus -15.7%. And so far this year, about minus 10%. Annualized, 17.3, so even worse than last year if we were to continue on this annualized pace. I don't think we'll get there, but that's what we're on. So we're looking at bond investors' two worst years in basically history. And this is all coming from a place where Lawmakers, politicians, technocrats at central banks, they all have an eye on on risk, but typically that's near-term risk, and they all are focused on what can they accomplish today, right? It's not about where is inflation going, where is the economy going 10, 15, 20 years from now, it's all about the next few months, the next year. It's all that matters to them. And so we had a decade post-financial crisis where it was all about getting inflation higher, getting the economy moving again, and they kept rates at rock bottom. But if any of them had studied John Locke, for example, and his letters to Parliament, and he wrote one in 1691 that warned against, which was at that time, an effort to cap the cost of debt, interest rates, to help the British government finance themselves. And I love this example because It just shows you how there's nothing new under the sun. These cycles happen over and over again. That's why I always say, I look back in markets hundreds of years, understand what happened in previous regimes, previous times that manifested in certain ways. And so, When I say this is a new regime, this is not a new regime in history because this happened before. This happened post-World War II where we had a cap on interest rates. We let inflation run. Spent money. There was fiscal dominance then as well. And we inflated our way out of the debt. And politically... That is the expedient way to go. Raise your hand if you, if you if you rather have an 08 bust that continues, without a reversal in economic fortunes, or would you rather have this period where inflation's high after just my lifestyle? It sucks, but housing prices aren't plummeting. Unemployment isn't in the teens. And you still get your Social Security. I think everybody would take this situation over 08. But there's the law of unintended consequences. When you... Manipulate the cost of money for so long. You enable politicians to forget. Paper over the longer term costs and focus on their partial knowledge of what's happening today. And they care very little about the future. Because it always figured it out, right? Or hey, we're doing this because it supports our values. Think of what happened with overseas wars. We're supporting our values overseas. Well, what unintended consequences does that have? So I wanted to highlight that because this didn't come out of nowhere. This was decades in the making. It isn't one person's fault. It isn't one party's fault. It is a multitude of decisions that happen year after year that has built up this current situation. All right, the Vestock Voice Bank never closes, and that means you can leave your question anytime, day or night, and we'll get to it on a future podcast. Now, let's play another question now from 8
3: 888 99 Chart. Yes, hi, Stephen, Justin. My name is Seraphio. I'm calling from Ohio. I've been a listener for the past six months, and you guys have been instrumental in my quest to become financially literate. My question is about dollar cost averaging for a portfolio of individual stocks. <laughs> I have already maxed out all my retirement accounts consisting of mutual funds. In June, I opened a taxable account with 30K and I've been adding 2K a month. I am somewhat okay with the fundamental analysis, so I now have 16 well diversified stable growth and value stocks that are not in any of my mutual funds. My plan is to hold 18 to 20 for long-term. Almost all of my positions have appreciated. So when I put more, my average cost basis goes up. Would that be okay if I just keep on working in positions that have at least a 25% safety margin based on discounted cash flow or target price? Not that I'm good at it, but are there simple technical indicators to guide me? Thank you very much. And I'll wait for your answer on the podcast. Well, there are simple technical indicators, and that would be
1: the moving average. Well, the, the amount of, when you when dollar-cost average, you aren't really thinking about the technicals. You're thinking about the businesses. And the goal of dollar-cost averaging is to say, I want to own this asset f- pretty much no matter what. I feel that comfortable with it that if it goes down, I wanna buy more because I'm buying more at lower prices, I'm getting more shares, and when prices are higher, maybe more expensive, but I'm buying less shares. And so over time, you're buying more shares at lower prices, less shares at higher prices, and as long as the price continues to generally go up over the long term, you're in a good situation. So what this is all gonna rest on is the analysis of those 18 to 25 names. And it's not easy. It's not easy to be right on all of them. Some of them, you're probably going to be fairly wrong. And you're doing this kind of cash flow model, but that is dependent on those cash flows continuing and continuing to grow at your expectation. So what I would simply say is, congratulations. Keep maxing out your retirement accounts. Keep dollar cost averaging or DCAing into a mix of companies that you have confidence in, but you're gonna need to watch those companies. And you're going to need to have the discipline to cut bait when things go wrong. Because some of them, there will be problems with them. And I would say more than ever, focus on the balance sheets, not just the cash flow, because a stretched balance sheet can ultimately, eventually impair that cash flow, which ultimately impairs the value of the asset. Alright, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal each and every weekday. And that's to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 99 chart.
2: Get ready for the next Invest Talk Wealth webinar. Profit amidst chaos. Strategic investing in a recession. Set for November 9th. The Wealth Webinar will be presented online and free of charge. Thursday, November 9th, from 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific Time. Go to investtalk.com and register now.
3: Hey, Stephen Justin. This is Jake from the Bay Area. Uh, I'm just calling to see if I can get your take on IHI. It's a medical device ETF. I know you guys have uh, talked on it before. I'll be putting this... well. I have in my 403 and 457. Uh, I know you guys don't like healthcare care in this environment, but I know you guys have likes medical devices specifically. I also saw that they have kind of shuffled up their top 10 holdings, removing thermal fissure. So I just want to know if that changes your guys' take on it and whether or not I should be adding to it here since it's near a 52-week low. All right. Thank you. Bye. Well,
1: I do like that it shuffled out of Thermo Fisher, considering Thermo Fisher is very weak and definitely not considered a medical device company. So I don't know why it was in there in the first place. So that kind of throws a little doubt in in the ability of them to build a portfolio that fits this industry. You know, Thermo Fisher sells a lot of equipment to... Biotech's for R and D. That's and they're struggling because the biotech's are struggling. So there's that. So that's one positive, I guess you could say, near term. But long term, why was it in their first place? Were they chasing returns? That's a question. Now, I do agree that the medical device space is uh, the best slice of the healthcare market, probably to be in longer term. They don't have the patent cliff issues a lot of the pharma names have. They don't have the regulatory and government pressure on drug prices that's happening within pharma. The biotechs are are obviously dealing with higher cost of capital, so they're struggling there. The health insurance names, they certainly have some near-term strength. The issue is longer term. Are they going to? Are we going to coalesce around something like a single payer? I do think eventually we get to something like that government option, shall we say, where there's still a place for private insurance, but it's kind of like a Medicare for all, and then you can have additional on top of that. And I think that's what we eventually get to. And you know, the, the lobbyists kind of wrote Obamacare and helped the health insurance companies really create a, a very powerful profit machine. So, I I worry longer term about the health insurers. So, if I'm picking one slice of the market longer term, it would be medical device. But you have to line that up with the trends, and the trends within medical device are pretty bad. You know, IHI, the ETF you talked about, peaked out about 58 in late July. Now we're all the way down to 46 in just a few months. So I don't love the trends here and I and that's where I'm going to I'm going to pass on it. Its biggest holding is Abbott and that is now in a downtrend that's 18% of this portfolio. I don't like how I don't like how that is trended. But another worry within this sector is that a lot of them have a lot of debt on their balance sheet. When you have a stable industry, like healthcare, what a lot of these companies tend to do is they take that cash and they pay dividends, they buy back shares, and they do that by leveraging up their balance sheet. So that could be another reason why the sector overall is very weak. I mean, healthcare is one of the worst sectors to be in right now. Uh, And so maybe it's just being dragged down in general by the weakness in healthcare. Um, So... I like what you're looking at, but from a timing perspective, it's just not there. I'm going to pass, as of now, on IHI until you can get some relative strength, which is just simply not there. All right, lastly, let's talk a bit about the elderly. I don't say elderly. Seniors. In August, 17.7% of the U.S. population was 65 years or older. That's the highest on record going back to 1920 and up from 13% in 2010, think about that. In just 13 years, it's gone from 13% of the population to 17.7, and their finances are very healthy. Americans aged 65 and up accounted for 22% of all spending last year, the highest share since 1972 when they began keeping records, and up from 15% in 2010. And guess what? They've had a huge boost from that Social Security COLA increase of 8.7% last year the largest single increase since 1981. And so boomers, baby boomers have a lot of wealth, $77.1 trillion. And now because of the pandemic, they're more incentivized to spend it. And so if you're looking at the cohort that's keeping this economy going, it is the boomer generation with all that money, all that social security money, all that pent up wealth, a lot of their homes are paid off. And that's, What's keeping the economy humming? Not the younger people. In many cases, they are still struggling. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This Invest Talk. Good night.
0: Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial at 888-99-CHART.